Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, a show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back once again to take you down the 1996 main timeline and have a look at the September 23rd, 96 episodes of Raw and Nitro. Um, Before we get going today, um, there's a few shows upcoming where Dunk and I will be getting back on the SmackDown versus Thunder Train soon. Richie and I are looking to hook up to look at some Saturday Night versus Early Raw. And then I'm looking at adding a couple of little bonus shows in the lead up to Christmas while I've got some time away from football. But mostly I'm trying to plug on with this 96 timeline as much as possible. I'll probably throw another TNA versus Raw in there because I do like the 2002 switch up every now and again as well. Lots of shows coming in the next couple of months, but I'm um, just trying to catch up and get a little bit of a a, um, a catalogue of stuff waiting to come out. I am, as I said, looking at some options for bonus shows, and if anyone would be interested in some like really mini like reviews where I watch something, like I watch a lot of um, random wrestling things and don't review them because I don't have something to put them up against or have the time to do two shows, but if you'd be interested in me reviewing something, like at the moment I'm watching a lot of 91 superstars because I found them on YouTube, if you'd like me to put a couple of episodes up for them for review, maybe give me a yell and let me know if that's something you'd be interested in, or I can test the water and put an episode out and just see how well it does. Well, let's get started. So, Raw and Nitro on this night. Nitro obviously killed it in the ratings. I've said it a few times we're in the midst of the 83 weeks. It was a 3.4 versus a 2.0. But interestingly, for the first time, I went and had a look at the Nitro replay, and that itself drew a 1.4. So, obviously, this is not an exact science, but if... T- there was a 2.0 worth of people watching Raw and a 1.4 watch Nitro. You could surmise that at least a healthy chunk of those watch Raw then came back and watch Nitro as well. So not um, that there's anything like, I'm not drawing any conclusions from that, but it's definitely interesting. So thought I'd share that. I'm going to mix it up this week and I'm going to review Nitro first and Raw second. No reason, just I realized I always do it the other way around and thought it might be nice for a little change of pace. So we're going to head on over to Nitro right about now. life form. It infiltrates a healthy species. It sucks its blood dry and does nothing in the end but destroys an organization that blood, sweat, and tears by a lot of athletes went into the New World Order. Hulk Hogan and the Outsiders, they're nothing but parasites. 
One man is here, though, the macho man Randy Savage, along with many other stars of WCW. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at the footage from Fall Brawl, the macho man Randy Savage was very, very successful against the Giant. The man looked good. The man is going to Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc, going after Hulk Hogan in the WCW World Heavyweight title. As you heard there, there's a lot of WCW stars away in Japan and the focus is going to be on Macho. As we talked about in the last episode, um, we see fans rejecting NWO flyers coming into the building. And then we kick off with our opening contest of Kevin Sullivan and K-Dog Conan taking on Brad Armstrong and Hoover 2 Guerrera. Um, the Dungeon Dooms, Jimmy Hart and Big Bubba are out with the heels. We get a German suplex from... Conan early and then an arm drag a head scissor takedown and a dive by Hoovy and then a springboard leg drop before Conan hits a whopper DDT really killed um, Hoovy there with that one. Brad Armstrong comes in and hits a clothesline um, we get a sequence where Conan hits a nice power bomb, then tags in Kevin Sullivan who hadn't wanted to tag in earlier. Kevin Sullivan hits a double stomp and picks up the one, two, three. Conan then argues because obviously Sullivan tagged in just to pick up the win and then Bubba and Kevin Sullivan attack Conan and beat the shit out of him. But we then find out that it was all just an initiation and they pick him up and things are all good again. This was a bit of a strange segment, this one. Um, not sure what they were trying to accomplish here, but yeah, it happened. We then go to a Macho Man promo with Mike Tanay, who um, cuts this on the NWO. Nothing to stand out for a Macho promo. Next match is Mike Enos um, versus Chris Jericho. Um, I have no idea why, but I thought it would be quite funny where I've written M. Enos in my notes. I've written my penis afterwards, and I must have thought that I was podcasting to a bunch of 14-year-olds when I wrote that, so I um, cut the joke from here. Um, we get a slap from Enos, and then a spin kick from Jericho slaps him back. A springboard shoulder from Enos was pretty nice. A arm drag from Jericho, and they brawl on the floor for a while. Mike Enos um, suplexes attempt suplexes Jericho onto the steps, which looked pretty rough. We get a bear hug and then a power slam for a two count. Jericho picks up a two count with the sunset flip and then a super kick and a double underhook suplex. Misses a drop co a drop coke, a drop kick even. Attempts a top rope runner, but Enos hits a power bomb from there for a two. Jericho, though, spins out of a power slam and locks in a pin for a one, two, three. It was like, they were going for something new, but the finish sucked, I'll be honest. Like, if you over-rotate by half a rotation on a power slam, like, you're not getting pinned from that, especially a big guy like Mike Enos. But they were trying something original, um, and I won't let the poor finish take away from what was otherwise a pretty decent match here and exceeded expectations for me. Speaking of exceeding expectations, it's time for Pat Tanaka, who always does, taking on my boy Glacier. This should be good, and it is mood lit in blue. Um, the anti-cane lighting is in effect here. They dance around for a little, um, and we get... We have... Sorry, I misread my own writing there, but they dance around for a moment and my kids interrupt and stop me right as they're about to ta attack each other. And it just reminds me so much of this moment on The Simpsons. Come here, you little squirt. Homie, maybe we should go inside. But Marge, that little guy hasn't done anything yet. Look at him! He's gonna do something, and you know it's gonna be good! Uh. 
And I was right, kids. It was good. Um, we get a leg sweep from Glacier, a powerbomb from Tanaka. Glacier gets up and no-sells it. Um, little back and forth, and then he hits the fade to black. Um, a big spin kick for the one, two, three. It's not called the fade to black. And in fact, I don't even think um, Alistair Black called it that. Didn't he call it the black mass? I don't even know. That spin kick that Alistair Black does, that seems to be Glacier's finisher. I don't know what it's called here, uh, but it was a bloody great kick. And so far, um, Glacier's taking my MVP of the night so far. Um, I'm going to start awarding an MVP each show. I have obviously a few little things that I like to throw in, like wrestling logic and the hammerlock scale, but when something doesn't suck or defy logic, we end up with just uh, nothing. Oh, Dick Move of the Week is another one that I like to throw out there every now and again, um, which there will be today, but I'm also going to have an MVP each show from now on, and right now Glacier's in pole position. We'll see if anyone can take it from him. He does a karate demonstration after the match, which is nowhere near as cool after you've already seen him hit the guy, but I'll forgive him. They're mixing around and trying to figure out what works with the character here. We go to a commercial. We find out on Saturday night there's going to be um, Brad Armstrong, the public enemy, Macho Man Randy Savage, um, and then we see in the crowd Matt Gaffari, uh, the Greco-Roman silver medalist from the Atlanta Olympics. We come back and we get the awful dub music of Public Enemy and they'll be taking on Harlem Heat for the WCW Tag Team titles. Harlem Heat jump them early. We get a double big boot before Grunge hits a clothesline off the top and some double teaming from Public Enemy going to a commercial. Coming back, we get a clothesline from Booker, a Stevie Ray slam and a chin lock. Huge sidekick from Booker and then an NWO limo arrives outside. We get from Grunge a neckbreaker and then a hot tag to Rocco who cleans house. Um... We see a double-team headbutt from the Harlem Heat before Booker T misses the Houston or Harlem hangover, whichever one you want to call it. Booker T with a small package. Um, and then we get a slight roll on the small package. The ref counts three, Nick Patrick, but he says that Public Enemy were the one to pick up the win. New champions, and he awards it to the Public Enemy. Um, and we hear they're now going to be the ones to take on the outsiders at Halloween Havoc. Um bit of a swerve that I think the story they're trying to tell here is Nick Patrick has given the team they consider the easier beat for the NWO or the Outsiders the titles so that it's going to be easier for them to take the belt at Halloween Havoc. We go to a commercial and we come back for the hour two swap over um, with the commentary team swap as always with Heenan and Bischoff checking in with Mike Tanay. Next match, it's Greg Valentine taking on the Macho Man. So we've gone straight back to 1989 WWF here. Bischoff tells us there's going to be another new member of the NWO that he's had word, and I think, like, we only got six last week. This is, you know, and Giant, DiBiase, and Fake Sting were all in short order as well. It's maybe going a bit quick now. Valentine with a back elbow and a headbutt to the balls. They brawl on the outside. Macho Man hits him with a chair but doesn't get DQ'd. Gets back in the ring and comes off the top rope with the chair, and that is enough for a DQ. Um, it seems to me if you use the weapons on the outside, they let it go, but in the ring it's a DQ, which isn't make you know too sensical tosses a referee and then we get scott hall kevin nash six and ted dibiase coming out we get a razor's edge and a jackknife for macho giants dressed up nice and he's on the microphone and he introduces hulk hogan which i will splice that in right about now oh he can't give me one now without further ado the man and the myth, the man to be with, the all-time greatest professional wrestler in the world, 
a man who made professional wrestling what it is today. A man who knows no limits. The financial backbone of the NWO. The largest arms in the world. The one. The only. So Hogan comes down and drops a leg on Macho and then Garbage pelts the ring. Kevin Nash whips him with a Slim Jim and then they spray paint his bald head. Um, I just imagine if they tried to pitch this to Hogan, it wouldn't have worked for him, brother. Just on a side note as well, I started watching the Legends biography series um, and the Macho Man episode was on this week and Hogan just, oh, we made up and we were friends again before he died. But I'm going to tell you what a paranoid schizophrenic jerk he was for his entire life through the entirety of the interview. Some friend, like, Macho should have just cut another battle rap on him, in my opinion. Um, Nash and Hall head to the commentary booth, so Tanae and Heenan leave. They introduce their newest member in a potential jump the shark moment for the NWO. It's Vincent who comes out to heavy Virgil chants. What a downgrade this is. They also, um, on the other side of the commercial break, bring out an NWO NASCAR. And I just think, what a crock of shit. Like, this is um, not at all <laughs> to NWO standards. So maybe it's just this show, but it definitely feels like the, the wheels are coming off a little bit here and it's not that long into the run. I guess I kind of thought the main sort of three four five guys went for a bit longer but it looks like they're definitely stepping up the expansion now next match is meant to be jim powers versus vk wall street but um with giant now as the ring announcer for the night but nash and hall beat up powers um on his way down wall street comes and then just says no thank you like grandpa simpson walking out of the blesque show when he sees bart the referee leaves as well giant comes into the ring um as does Nick Patrick, and it's now Giant hitting a choke slam on the beaten Jim Powers, and Nick Patrick counting the three. Um, we split screen, and we see Hogan walking backstage, bumps into the Nasty Boys, um, basically says that he's got a business proposition for them, and he gives them his hotel room. Um, yep, as we go to a commercial break. When we come back, Giant's still acting as a ring announcer, um, and it is Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on Ron Studd. Ron Studd um, is distracted by Hogan and Nash hits him from behind and they lay him out and they replace him in this match with six. Six jumps Duggan early who basically ignores it, no sells and beats the shit out of him with a clothesline, a slam, three-point stance before Giant has to come in and save six from being beaten, pulling him off the pin, choke slamming him on the floor, rolling him back in for six to pick up a one, two, three without hitting a single offensive move. And that's enough to earn Duggan my dick move of the week. This is the first time an NWO member has not even been competitive in a match. Six has only been here a week and old man Duggan is already killing his credibility. I know he's going to be the Weasley cowardly heel. I get all that, but he should be the guy that does have that offense and gets cocky. And then the face comes back and he runs and, and cowers in fear. I'll Rick Flair, but no, six isn't good enough to hit a single offensive move on old man Duggan. Uh. Our next match is NWO Sting versus Bo Ledoux. 
Um, we get a hot shot and a stinger splash and then a scorpion deathlock to we want sting chance from the crowd as this squash match is over pretty quickly going into a commercial. When we come back, it's the Outsiders taking on High Voltage, and this is apparently the first match at an NWO Tag Team Tournament. Um, I don't understand what's going on. Apparently, it was meant to be the amazing French Canadians in this match as well. Um, full introduction and national anthem from them, but the Outsiders come out. Uh, first ever crotch chop I can remember in wrestling from Hall on his walk to the ring here, um, and the Canadians just leave voluntarily and give their spot up. Um, Scott Hall works over the arm and slap and then a corner clothesline. Nash comes in and hits a side slam as we have a commercial mid-match. We come back and Hall locks on his abdominal stretch where he also holds a leg. Hogan and DiBiase have been on commentary here for ever since they went up and chased off Heenan um, earlier as well. And they're getting pretty annoying. The, the shtick is getting old. Nash with a short clothesline. Scott Hall with a super back suplex. Nash with a power bomb, and then... Um, they both put the foot on the high voltage member for the one, two, three in an easy victory. We go back up to the commentary table for more of the same crap. This went on way too long. Basically half the show was NWO commentary segments. The only, um, only good part about this was when Scott Hall comes back up and they're just chatting shit and he looks at Giant and says, was Andre really your dad? And Giant's like, oh, why'd you have to ask that? Um, that popped me, but yeah, the NWO angle here took a turn for the worse the introduction of vincent the taking over of commentary the ruining every match um i just feel like they could have executed this better without ruining the show and making it unwatchable but i've got to like be honest this is the worst episode of nitro i can remember watching since like the very early days this was just it turned into shit so um, get the storyline advancement and everything going on. But as a viewer, I genuinely didn't enjoy this. And I know if you've listened to the, the most recent episodes, I've been singing heaps of praise on WCW and Nitro. But for the first time, like I think going into Raw, I'm expecting Raw to put on a better show than this. So let's see if they can deliver um, their first opportunity in a while to actually be competitive. Before we do that though, let's head on over to the halftime segment. For this week, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, I'm just winging it a bit here, but I'm going to talk about wrestling moments that broke my heart. Um, first memory I can really remember of having my heart broken in wrestling, I think, would have to be Shawn Michaels turning on Marty Jannetty and putting him through the barbershop window. Um, this one really stung. Um, loved the Rockers. They were by far and away the best tag team to watch um, in 91 when they broke up. Um, just such wasted potential. It felt like they were finally hitting their prime. They had classic matches against like the Orient Express and Barbarian and Haku. Everything they were on for years was great and it felt like they were finally becoming like almost like the top of the tag team scene and they broke up right as they were getting close to the titles. Um, special mention for the breakup of the Heart Foundation. That really broke my heart. But I think Brett's singles push pretty quickly evaporated that so it didn't last for too long the the breakup of the rock has hurt for many a year um actually maybe it wasn't the first 91 warrior losing the belt to slaughter that might have been the first wrestling heartbreak i really felt so let's pivot and go back to that one because slaughter taking the belt was unfathomable for six-year-old me in 1991 um other moments of real heartbreak in wrestling i'm going to skip forward you know, a decade or so, um, when Shawn Michaels and Triple H put back together DX in 2002 for about 10 minutes and Triple H hit the pedigree, that absolutely broke my heart. When Shawn Michaels came back and the failed NWO rebuild and the, the teasers with Hunter, I was just 
begging for a DX reunion. I was a huge DX mark and had missed it. Felt like it didn't last long enough for my liking. Triple H turned heel and, yeah, got ahead, but it killed my favorite group. So, yeah, massive heartbreak that night. I remember that was one of those times that I, like, yelled no at the TV. Like, I would have been 18, 19 by this point, and that one really hurt when, when that went down. I think the Ultimate Warrior disappearing from the WWF repeatedly continued to hurt. Um, always loved the Warrior, one of my favorite ever wrestlers. And yeah, seeing him go, that one definitely stung. Um, I think not a moment that broke my heart, but something that, that did bother me for years was how few and far between Undertaker title reigns were. He had the belt for less than a week in 91. Didn't get it again until 97. And that felt like far too long. And then um, after dropping it back, you know, a few months into his run, didn't touch it again until 99. And, you know, he'd had three short reigns by the middle of 99. And again, that just felt like not enough for someone of his caliber. So that one hurt. Um, The constant downgrades of Kane, that felt like they really hurt at the time. The monster Kane that debuted in late 97 and was a force through most of 98. Just by 99 and 2000, they just kept weakening him every time. It felt like every time Kane changed outfits, he got a little bit shitter. And that always irked me that they didn't push that initial Kane run anywhere near what they could have pushed with it. Um... Billy Gunn turning heel really hurt. Like, the New Age Outlaws were my favorite team for years. So, him splitting up the group and and going against the Road Dog, that one really hurt as well. My boy X-Pac never getting an Intercontinental title run. I mean, they gave the Intercontinental title to so many people. X-Pac could have definitely had a run with that. That one really hurt. Um... I'm not. I'm going storyline here, by the way. I don't want to talk about wrestler deaths. There are far too many, and that's going to bring the tone of this show down way too much. Um, so there's, you know, we're, we're talking very much storyline, and obviously, as you get older, storyline changes bother you a hell of a lot less. But um, it is what it is. Um, the changing of John Cena away from the rap gimmick that really hurt. They made him such a total lame character when John Cena was the coolest character in wrestling for a little while. Really, really loved him. Um, so, yeah, a bit sad when, when that happened. Um, trying to think through... There has to be more through the mid-90s, but I'm probably struggling to put them together. Oh, you know what? Hogan getting the belt at WrestleMania 9. That one killed me. Bret Hart was establishing himself, and Hogan comes and ruins it, goes back to the main event scene. I was disgusted at the time. Um... And Bret Hart losing to Bob Backlund as well. They were two other moments of heartbreak where poor Bret, trying to lead the company, put it on his back and just get screwed for old timers. Um, very um, WCW of them, you could say, because they love to have digs when the WWF did it later. Um, but yeah, there's some kayfabe moments of wrestling heartbreak for me. If you've got anything that you um, want to contribute to that, send it away. I'd, I'd love to read it on the show, Your Wrestling Heartbreak. So yeah. Now it's time to head over to Raw and see if they can put on a better show than Nitro. That's Razor and Diesel down there. That's Razor and Diesel. And that's Savio Vega. And I hate to be like Jerry Lawler, but to say I told you so, but I told you so.
one with Farouk. What a battle. That's going to be a great matchup. Plus, ladies and gentlemen, Big Daddy Cool Diesel and the bad guy, Razor Ramon, are in the house. They are here, and we're going to have them right here live tonight on Raw. As you can hear, a hell of a lot going on there to open the show. We've got Mr. Perfect coming out and Pat Patterson coming out to special referee the final in the Intercontinental title tournament. Jerry Lawler says that we've got new tag team champions with a new manager as well from the the pay-per-view. And it's Mark Miro taking on Farouk with Sonny. Perfect joins the commentary team. We've got a buried alive tombstone just randomly in the middle of the aisle. Um, So promoting the next pay-per-view with a little bit of creativity there. A quick start from Miro, who's going for pins before Farouk hits an Enziguri. We get an arm drag and a clothesline over the top from Miro, and then a somersault plancher, and then a moonsault inside for a two. Farouk shoulders Miro off the apron, and he crashes into the rail. They brawl on the outside, and then Ahmed Johnson phones in to say he's going to be back soon and wishes Mark Miro good luck. Farouk with a nice power slam for a two, and then a super Samoan drop for a two. Sonny interrupts, um, and we get a... Sorry, interrupts a Pat Patterson. <laughs> I um, and Pat Patterson kicks her out. Sorry, I'm like, why did Pat Patterson kick out? Who was pinning him? No, he kicks Sonny out as we go to commercial. Um, a Mike Miro backslide for a two and a sunset flip for a two, and then a Farouk chin lock. Miro with a top rope Rana for a two before Sonny comes back and has a cat fight with Sable. Mark Miro gets Sonny. Um, gets her purse and nails Farouk with it, then hits a shooting star press for the one, two, three, and Mark Miro is your new Intercontinental Champion. Mr. Perfect and JR come in, and we cut a weird promo, which I'm going to splice in here for you. Didn't really capture the essence of the moment in a star-making performance for Miro here. Look at how he did it. First of all, I give all glory and honor to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to thank all the fans. Forget the fans. I want to thank my inspiration, my motivation, my best friend, my partner in life. Get it out of the ring. My lover, Sable. Oh, yeah. This is as much yours. He ought to be thinking that brick that was in Sonny's purse. So he ought to think, that's a beautiful scene. That is absolutely beautiful. Oh, yeah. I got one more special thank you for his wisdom. All the good advice he's given me has brought me the Intercontinental title. Thank you, Mr. Perfect. Oh, what a tremendous scene this is. What a great what about champion. Me? Jim, you're a great guy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the wild man, Mark Merrill. And don't forget, still to come, live right here, Big Daddy Cool Diesel and the bad guy, Razor Ramon. So, yeah, as you can hear there, a bit of a, you know, not the best promo there. We go to a commercial and we see a um, sign for Razor and Diesel on a door when we come back. Um, We find out later that Double J is going to be exposed for being a fraud, which is like a year too late. This is a bit funny, that one. Um, Doc goes into the room of Mark Miro, who's celebrating with a bunch of baby faces. 
And then we come back to Vince narrating the Double J singing angle a year too late. Um, This one was a strong contender for the dick move of the week because they're just burying him, I think, knowing that he's going to WCW. But I'll let you guys have a listen and tell me what you think about this angle here. It's got no relevance. It just, it serves no purpose. Hey, do you remember that guy that was here a year ago that had the fake country uh, Western singer gimmick? He wasn't really a singer. Oh my God, can you believe it? Jeff Jarrett, you will not believe this. It was July 23, 1995, the setting Nashville, Tennessee. And this was supposed to be the greatest moment of Double J Jeff Jarrett's life. A triumphant return to Music City, his hometown, the same town which had rejected him summarily both as a WWF superstar and as an entertainer. Double J was going to make them all eat crow. Not only was he going to battle Shawn Michaels, the self-proclaimed greatest entertainer in the world was going to perform his hit song, With My Baby Tonight, live on stage in front of all of his naysayers. But tonight, on Monday Night Raw, the man Double J, Jeff Jarrett, exposed. As we are going to show you in a moment, ladies and gentlemen, via videotape, Double J, Jeff Jarrett was simply country music's version of Millie Vanilli. Check it out. was it a poor lip sync indeed double j jeff jarrett never sang the song he he never even recorded it ladies and gentlemen double j jeff jarrett was about to be exposed and that very night he walked out on the world wrestling federation however next week the man who really sang the song with my baby tonight that's right right here next week ladies and gentlemen on monday night raw the man who was ripped off by double j is gonna join us that's right the man who really sang with my baby tonight, the real Double J, right here next week. Jeez, Vince, I say I'm watching Nitro before that you got a chance to fight back against the NWO, and what do you do? You bring out the real Double J, and I'm pretty certain some imposter other characters a bit later on as well. Fuck, you make it this tough for me, man. Um, Owen Hart and the Bulldogs, the new tag champs, with their new manager, Clarence Mason, come out to take on the Body Donners. Um, Clarence Mason, Mason even joins the commentary team. We get a quick start from Dr. Tom and Owen Hart, um, a bit of a commotion in the crowd, though, and we get an ECW chant, and we see Taz on the floor with a sign that says we want taz um oh sorry we sorry you see taz on the floor with holding up an ecw sign we go to quickly go to a commercial and when we come back he's gone and we've got a we want taz chant my apologies there for running through that too quick but i was popped a bit to see taz jump jump over the rail in 96 raw so great a fair bit going on um in wrestling at the moment a bulldog, bulldog ducks a crossbody. Um, we get picture in picture with Jim Cornette cutting a promo um, on Clarence Mason. Owen Hart hits a belly to belly suplex with Jim Cornette cutting a promo first on Shawn Michaels and Jose Lothario, then back to Clarence Mason. Bulldog, uh, sorry, Body Donner's clean house, and we get a gut wrench power bomb from Dr. Tom, and then a rocket launcher picks up a two before Owen Hart hits a spin kick and locks on a sharpshooter to pick up the submission victory for the champions. After the match, we see some still shots from the Mind Games title match, and we get a bit of talk about Buried Alive. We're going to see Undertaker Mankind in the main event, and Sid's going to take on Vader. We get a promo from Undertaker in, a, in black and white in a graveyard. We then go to Doc Hendricks with 
um, at the door of the change room of Razor Ramona Diesel, gets the door slammed in his face. Um, we get our PlayStation and Crash Bandicoot slam of the week, which is Shawn Michaels running up the ropes to super kick a chair into Mankind. Um, and then also the table spot where he turns a back suplex into a crossbody through a table to the floor. We're told next week we'll see a tag team match where it's going to be Jim Cornette and Vader taking on Jose Lothario and Shawn Michaels. Um, we then uh, also get told we're going to see Razor Ramon versus Savio Vega. And then Stone Cold comes and joins the commentary team before a Triple H versus the Stalker matchup. Mr. Austin, you created quite a stir last night at, in your house. Shut up. <laughs> we want to talk We want to talk a little bit about Brett the Hitman Hart. You know, Hitman used to go around the WWF. He claimed to be a great artist. Then I came along. Take a look at this artwork right here. My artwork on the cover of the comedy magazine that's out today. He knew he wasn't the greatest artist of all time. He used to claim to be the greatest wrestler. Then Steve Austin came along, and now he's hit the high tail. I got something I'd like to make clear right now. Because of the censors, I can't use the word I'd like to use, but I'll use a word that rhymes with it. I spit on the life, the career, and the family of Brett the Hitman Hart. Whoa. And if his parents would have been smart enough to practice safe sex some 30 years ago, I wouldn't be dealing with him right now. Well, Hunter Hearst Townsley is making his way to the ring. This is going to be a tremendous contest, fans. Next year on Raw, Hunter Hearst Townsley is going to go one-on-one with the Stalker. What a confrontation this is going to be. Austin definitely starting to lean into that character that's going to make him the biggest star in the history of wrestling here and not uh, not too far down the line. Stalker works over the arm of Triple H early. Um, we get a hammerlock slam and a backdrop. They brawl on the floor, and Mr. Perfect comes out. This distracts Triple H, so we get a back suplex from the Stalker and a commercial. When we come back, we're shilling the superstar line with Doc. We get a snapmare from Triple H and a knee drop for a two. He locks in a sleeper. Um, then we get a comment from stone cold on commentary which absolutely pops me why has barry windham got all that pain on his face we all know who he is um that actually cracked me up but it did earn austin um a nomination for dick move of the week that unfortunately lost out to hacksaw but um it definitely put him in a solid second place there but it was quite funny um a suplex from the stalker triple h um sees mr perfect steal his girl and this allows a stalker to crotch him on the top rope and hit a superplex for the one two three in a result i did not see coming but i guess this is part of triple h's losing campaign after being naughty at the curtain call we then go to our final um segment jr's in the ring um and we, before we get to him, we cut to Paul Bearer of Mankind in the cemetery and go to a commercial. When we come back, JR is pissed off for being interrupted and made to stand in the ring like an idiot. Um, this is the main event segment, which actually is a bit crazy to me. Um, and we get a JR heel turn where he just goes off. And I can't do it justice. You've got to listen to this because I've never heard this promo before. And holy shit, was it good. Right here to this ring tonight. Again, before we do, if we can do this interview now, I got something rather personal I'd like to, to tell each and every one of you. All right, wait, wait a minute. We gotta take a go to the we gotta take a quick break. Stay with us. What?
All right, ladies and gentlemen, before I was so rudely interrupted with a commercial break, we're going to conduct this interview right now. And in just a couple of moments, I'm going to bring Big Daddy Cool Diesel and Razor Ramon right out here. But before I do, I'd like to just beg your indulgence for just a minute or so and tell you something that I've got on my mind. There's something I've been waiting to say for a long, long time. And when I'm through telling you, many of you are going to question my loyalty to the World Wrestling Federation. So let's clear that up right now. What are you talking about? I have no idea. I have no loyalty to the World Wrestling Federation. I've only got loyalty to good old JR. Let me tell you why. In 1993, I left a great job in Atlanta, Georgia. And I left the Atlanta Falcons of the National Football League to go to the recognized leader of sports entertainment, the WWF. And my, I came here to be the primary play-by-play -play man in the WWF. I don't think anybody here is gonna disagree that I'm the best play-by-play -play man in the whole damn business. What's he doing? I, I really don't know. This so is I show up for work the first day at WrestleMania 9 in Las Vegas, Nevada, and they give me a sheet to wear. They said, oh, it's going to be a toga. You'll look good in a toga, JR. I lead the National Football League for a toga. It's crap. And then, ladies and gentlemen, I go to the first king of the ring in Dayton, Ohio, and I guarantee you, you listen to that broadcast. I carried the broadcast from ringside. And then did you ever wonder where OJR went to? Why isn't JR doing play-by-play -play anymore? Let me tell you why. Because the egotistical owner of the World Wrestling Federation, and you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Vince McMahon couldn't stand the competition. Why is he doing this? This is rather unfortunate. So JR disappeared. And then on Super Bowl Sunday in 1994, I woke up with an affliction called Bell's Palsy. And my entire left side of my face looked like I had a stroke. You think I like that? You think I like that my left eye doesn't open all the way because I got sick? Well, let me tell you how warm-hearted Mr. McMahon is. Mr. McMahon called me into his office on February the 11th, 1994, and he fired my ass. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to my home in that overpriced hellhole, Connecticut, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm gonna tell my wife and my two little girls that their daddy had just got fired. And so then, remember when, remember when McMahon got indicted? They needed somebody to come back and do Raw? They called OJR. And then they let me go again. So finally they called me back. Hired me back for 50 cents on the dollar to come back and work in the front office. 
Do you think that all these guys leaving the WWF was an accident? Hell no, it's not. You think all these guys coming here was an accident? Absolutely not. I've been very busy. And right now, I want to bring back one of your favorites. He's the bad guy, Razor Ramon. Sorry for the longest splice and I normally go with there, but what a promo from JR. This absolutely gets him my MVP of the night. It was awesome. Obviously, what follows is the fake Razor being rightfully called out by Lawler and Kevin Kelly. Um, Savio Vega comes out and attacks him and we go off the air. Nothing more of note happens there, but holy shit, what a promo from JR. That just killed it. So, this is going to be a tough one to score, but that's what I'm here for. Um, no buy rates, no TV ratings. We're giving our own scores. So, um, I'm actually going to go straight to match quality first because Nitro was full of matches that just didn't do anything. We're interrupted and were squashes and beatdowns. So, Raw gets the win here, um, which has not normally been the case. The real lack of cruiser action on Nitro probably heard it on this one as well. Um, production value, I'm... You know, there's not a lot in it, but I'm going to go with Raw because Nitro's segments just went the wrong way. You know, the main event angle was at the commentary table, bringing out a NASCAR in the middle of the show, etc., etc. Like, the flow wasn't there for Nitro. Um, characters, I, I think you probably have to say um, that it's a tie, Um Nitro had a lot of guys overseas in Japan, not on the show, particularly the WCW faces, but Raw also didn't feature um, in the arena Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Vader, or Mankind, or Sid. We had promos from some of them, but yeah, like characters, I'm going to go with a tie. Storyline advancement. I am going to... I think I'm going to give this one to Raw. Um, it was a close one, but... Paid off the obviously terrible um, angle here at the end. Um, new storyline coming out with the real Double J. Also terrible, but it is storyline. Um, but the crowning of a new Intercontinental title, the moving of the main event um, pieces, and keeping those stories progressing probably just beats out Nitro's whole uh, Wrestle Zero Ace and NWO are going to be dickheads for two hours um, on their show. And then that last piece of the puzzle takes us across to Crowd Heat. And I think... I probably think the crowd on Nitro were a tad hotter than Raw, but it's pretty close. So for me, this is a 3-1 to one victory for Raw. And yeah, for the first time in a while, I felt like Raw was definitely the better show. Um, a lot of missteps and the booking is questionable at best. But Nitro basically sabotaged their show by just making it like... It was like you watched a high school kid get bullied for two hours. And who the fuck wants to watch that? Like, it was just a all-round awful episode of Nitro with very little redeeming qualities, and Raw was half-decent. Not great, not amazing, but 
showing some signs of life that we know um, going into 97 and more 98 will fire the company back to the top. So there you have it. Raw beats out Nitro in a rare win for 96. And um, two shows where I'd say, like, you don't really need to go out of your way to watch them other than the JR promo. And I'll just put that in the, in the podcast here for you anyway. So enjoy it here and save yourself the trouble. That'll do it for today. As I mentioned at the start of the show, a few more episodes um, on different timelines coming up in the near future. Um, If you've got any wrestling heartbreak stories you want to share, tweet them to me and I'll read them on the air in the next episode. Otherwise, hope everybody has a lovely day wherever you are in the world. And thank you as always for listening.